good to have you part of our service. So this is the strangest Christmas I can remember. <laughs> Do you feel that way? And I think probably it's because we're coming to the near the end, thank God, near the end to one of the strangest years, the strangest year maybe we've ever known. And it's been a really odd year. I mean, we celebrated Easter online. Um, our camps and our mission trips for this summer were all canceled. Uh, most people have had some level, if not extraordinary, complications with work and school. And a lot of college has been online, sort of tried to do in person. Uh, one of the strangest things has been some of the funerals that I've been to. Um, the majority of the people who were part of the funeral viewed it online, didn't, didn't get to come and be a part of it in person. And uh, that's been, you know, that's been difficult for a lot of people. Weddings have been uh, rescheduled and moved. People, people have moved and lost jobs. And um, I, there were people who were a regular part of our church in, in March. And during this time, they've changed jobs or changed communities or moved out of state or whatever. And the last time we saw them was like February or early March. And we don't know when we'll get to see them again because life has changed. And it's been really, it's been really difficult. Um, unemployment has uh, ran out and some people have lost jobs. So right here at the Christmas season, things are difficult. The political and social unrest has been at a fever pitch. Just hot, you know. As high as I can remember it in my life, we're all kind of hoping that, this, that the vaccine will come soon and uh, we'll begin to get a break and we can begin to kind of dig our way out of this. I think we're all kind of wondering at what point are we going to have to pay for all this, right? Uh, what are the, what's the economy going to be like in 2021? Because you can't just do the things that we've done as a country and a, and a, and a world, really, uh, somebody's got to pay for it. We just keep kicking it down the road, and I know we're all doing the best we can. And then at Kingwood, you know, as we've already mentioned, there's no Scrooge. Like this, right, right here in this weekend, man, we would be running, uh, running, 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 feverishly getting ready. The stage would be set. And so for over 30 years, we've done that. It's been, so it's strange. It's if Kingwood's your home, and it's been your home for a few years. It's a strange time of year for that. And then, you know, holiday, family gatherings have been different, right? I didn't go home to see my family because my parents are elderly and not well. And I was nervous that one of us would unknowingly be carrying COVID-19 and give it to them. And they might not survive. And so I'm sure most of us have had some kind of change in our uh, family gatherings or will at Christmas at least. So the whole thing's kind of different. And then here we are bearing down on the strangest Christmas we've ever seen. Probably in your house somewhere is a manger scene or will be a manger scene, you know, when you get around to, to decorating. You look up, maybe it's on the mantle and you see these little, little figurines, you know, this little barn thing and you have a little hay clod in the middle with a baby and then there's... This young couple and angels are kind of hovering over on a little coat hanger or something, you know, whatever you've got. You got the sheep and lambs and camels and the wise men are there. And, you know, it's, uh, you, you look at it, it's got the little star, you know, right above it. 
You got the kings who've come who bring their little gifts and they've got glitter or something on them. And you look at that and you say, well, you know, why can't we have that Christmas? <laughs> you know, and, and in our mind, we picture them singing Silent Night, you know, as if they, that song was written already. And, and you think, why can't we have that Christmas? It seems, it seems so good. I, I want to um, share with you for a few minutes as we kind of set this series up what the first Christmas was really like. Because I think we tend to interpret it through the lens of our modern day celebrations. And we picture it as this kind of quaint, quiet little time. Um, but I want to I try to explain what the first Christmas was like. Jesus was born in an oppressive society. There was heavy taxation. Many scholars say that uh, taxes were nearly somewhere between 50 and 60%. Uh, most people were, you know, farmers of some kind, so they would have to bring 50 to 60% of their harvest or of their livestock or whatever, and that was in taxation. Now, I know we have a lot of complaints about the taxes we pay and, you know, what they go to do, but if you think our taxes are misspent, it's nothing like then. Their taxes weren't spent on government programs. They didn't repair bridges or build libraries or have government, you know, fund, nothing like that. The money that was taken in taxation was given to the wealthiest rulers in the land and made them wealthier. So they could kind of compete with the wealthy people from other countries, and so they would just become richer and richer. And so you can imagine what kind of setting that would have. 10% of the people were wealthy. 90% of the people were poor. They were farmers of some kind. Uh, it was really a third-world context. Uh, kind of in our modern vernacular, with uh, a military dictatorship. That's the world that Jesus was born into. So there was a lot of anti-government hostility, and there was a lot of social unrest. So it was really a chaotic time. And then uh, there was the leader of the Jewish people, Herod the Great. Maybe you've studied a little bit about him in history. Herod was an insecure egomaniac, and I say that kindly. <laughs> he, was a, he, was a, um, he was quite a character, uh, he, he wanted to earn the favor of the Jewish people. So here's what he did. He went and married the granddaughter of the previous king who he defeated. And of all his ten wives, she was his favorite. The only thing was she had um, royal blood. Like she was you know, in the, the old king's bloodline. So even though she was his favorite, um, he, was, he felt threatened by her. So here's what he did out of his own insecurity. He first killed her uncle, and then he killed her brother, and then he killed her mother, and then before he died, he killed two of her sons because his insecurity and fear and paranoia about other people getting power overwhelmed him. So imagine now that this is the king when the wise men come from another country and they come into town and they say, hey, you're the ruler, right? Yes, good. So you know all that's going on in your country. Great. I've got a question for you. Have you seen Jesus, the king of the Jews? Can you imagine how that must have sounded to Herod? Well, who's this king you're talking about? Well, he's just a baby. And we came to worship him from another country. Have you seen him? This is a very exciting time. And Herod said, oh, no, no, I haven't seen him. But if you find him, I'd like to know. 
Because he didn't see that there was room for any other king in, his, in Judea. So when he heard that and the wise men didn't come back and report to him that they found him, and that's a whole other story why they didn't, God intervened in that. Herod sent military troops to Bethlehem to kill babies. Now think about that. This is a long way from the figurines that we have on the mantle with glitter. Herod sent military force to Bethlehem to slaughter babies. And in a matter of hours, not days, not weeks, not months, in hours, every male baby in Bethlehem was murdered. Can you believe this is the Christmas story? Not so silent night. Doesn't seem, doesn't seem like the feelings that are conjured up inside of us when we look at the little mantle. In the darkness, Jesus was born in the shadow of death. In the middle of oppressiveness and brokenness and darkness, watch this, there comes this blast of an announcement of joy. Now, you would have to be brave or completely disconnected from reality to have any kind of announcement of joy. Babies are being slaughtered. I mean, this is, this is terrible. In times like these, things can't get much worse. But in the middle of those circumstances, you have this announcement of joy. And that's what Christmas is. Christmas is an, is an audacious announcement of joy in the middle of whatever circumstances that you and I find ourselves in today. The time feels wrong. The circumstances feel wrong. We don't feel like we're ready for it. But nevertheless, with the boldness of a lion and the wonder of a child, these angels are sent to earth and they come blasting joy to the world. <laughs> Jesus is coming. Can you believe this? It's good news. It's good news. That's why we called this series The Joy of Christmas. And here's, here's one thought I want to leave with you today that I hope that you can wrap your heart around. God doesn't need good circumstances to do his best work. Man, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I don't have to get my life figured out. I'm so glad I don't have to fix things. I'm so glad I don't have to be ready. I'm so glad I don't have to have my life in order. I'm so glad I don't have to meet other people's approval. God can just blast in and do some of the greatest things because he doesn't even need my effort to do it. It's his work. Thank God. You don't need to fix anything for Jesus to work. He can just show up and work. Because that's who he is. So in this series, what we're going to look at are these times that God sent an angel to make an announcement about this Christmas season. The first one is in Luke chapter 1. We're going to read today, verse 11. This angel appears to a man named Zacharias, who's John's father. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zacharias, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. 
But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. This is kind of like Abraham and Sarah. They wanted a son. They thought they were too old to have children. They'd been praying, God, give us a child. And the angel arrives and says, We've heard your prayer. You know, God sent this angel to tell you you're going to have a son. Look at this. Look at verse 14. <laughs> this isn't even Jesus. We're not even to Jesus yet. We're just to the person that comes before Jesus. And, and what does he say? He will be a joy. Look at that. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This, this son's coming, and he's going to be a joy. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. This is going to be a power-packed child. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. So one of the reasons that God sent John and sent this angel to tell Zechariah and his wife about John is because John's ministry was going to be to call people who had walked with God and then drifted away from him to call those people back to God. That was one of his ministries. Then look at verse 17. And he will go on before the Lord, so he's coming before Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So parents to their children, in other words, um, these human relationships, uh, uh, John is coming to, to try to stir up people to reconcile these relationships. Now here's what a lot of, a lot of scholars think this means. This is actually the marrying of the Old Testament and the New Testament. In other words, the fathers, and the, the original this leans toward fathers, maybe not so much parents. And we're thinking of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so now you have the New Testament reconciled to the Old Testament message of the ancient fathers. And so now you, ha you have the, uh, the New Testament is fulfilling the Old Testament. That's kind of one of the pictures here. But it certainly would apply to human relationships too. And then the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. What's the wisdom of the righteous? The wisdom of the righteous is Jesus himself. He is our wisdom. And then to prepare people for the Lord. So this is what John's going to do. Now, we don't have uh, many examples in our culture today about what this kind of preparation. In other words, John was going to go out and kind of stir everybody up and get them ready for Jesus. We don't really have very many examples, but I, I was a part of one. Uh, back when Hurricane Katrina hit, uh, President Bush came to our community, came to our city. And uh, he was going to speak at the Coliseum, and I don't remember somehow we got tickets. And I, I happened to have some friends on the police force there in Gulfport, and they were telling me like all the stuff that had been happening that we didn't even know about because the president was coming. First, they don't tell anybody he's coming till the last minute. You kind of hear a day of, and then you go, uh-oh, you know, maybe we can go hear him. And he said, no, listen, we've had Navy SEAL divers down in the Gulf of Mexico around the piers checking out the pylons underwater to make sure nobody's connected an explosive to anything under there. So we've had divers in the water for a couple days. We've had snipers on the rooftops. We, I mean, this is a full-blown, the local police are shut out. They don't know anything. The federal government, military, all of them have come in and locked the area down. And then all of a sudden, um, 
you, you are ushered into the Colosseum, and they set a barricade around the Colosseum for several city blocks, and you go in, inside the barricade. Once you get inside the barricade, you don't leave. And once they close the, the gate, nobody else gets in. So you're in the Colosseum waiting on the president, you know, and you're in this zone where nobody gets in or out. And then the president lands, this caravan hits the ground, and it, it give, they, there's three routes that the president could be on, and he may not be on any of them. And this caravan streaks straight toward the Colosseum. You're sitting there waiting for a while, and all of a sudden, President Bush appears and starts to speak. He speaks for a few minutes, and we unwind everything that happens, and once he's off the ground, you can leave the perimeter. That's what happens. And so the enormous amount of work that was put into preparing for the president's arrival was, uh, I'd never seen anything like it. And when I got some of the intel uh, that went on behind the scenes, it blew me away. This is what Jesus and the God the Father sent John to do. John was the preparer. He was the forerunner. He was the one that came out and tried to stir everybody up and say, hey, you don't understand. Nothing like this has ever happened on the earth before. Jesus is coming. Like Jesus, God's son, is coming to earth. And he came to stir people's hearts up and to mend relationships and prepare the way for the Lord and, and to make, make people hungry for God. So he started a ministry that Jesus took over when he got here, and then Jesus did it in full. So why was Jesus coming to earth an announcement of joy? Here's why. Listen, because Jesus is a reconciler. Jesus is a reconciler. He does what no president, no government, no law, no economy, no medicine, no science can do. No education can do. He reconciles. He restores. He puts things back together. Our life and the brokenness and darkness of our society tends to separate things and break things apart. But Jesus, his announcement in his coming was joy because he's a reconciler. You probably never heard of Lee Strobel. He was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And he was an atheist. And Lee Strobel, um, his wife became a Christian. And when his wife became a Christian, he started to research Jesus because he just wondered what all this was about. And through that process, he became a Christian. Uh, but when he became a Christian, his daughter was five years old. He's written several books now about uh, making a case. He's kind of th sort of a journalistic view on creation, on the creator, on faith, on re really good books, on a lot of areas like that. Uh, but before, before he was saved, his daughter was five years old. When he got saved, his daughter was five. And he was, um, he was a man filled with anger and rage and um, just kind of acted out. And one day he came home from work, and he was just in a fit of anger, and he kicked a hole in the living room wall. And his little daughter went and hid in her bedroom, and he said he was embarrassed how many times when he'd be in one of these fits of rage how his daughter would go and hide in her bedroom from her dad. But when she was five, he became a Christian and every day his life continued to change. About five months later, after he had become a Christian, his little daughter went to her mother and said, what happened to daddy? She had never read the Bible 
She didn't go to church. She wasn't exposed to any of those things. What she knew was is that something had happened to her daddy. And here's what she said to her mom. If that's what God does for daddy, I want God to do that for me. And at five years old, that little girl became a Christian because of the change she saw in her daddy. Jesus is a reconciler. When we are reconciled to him, we are reconciled to those around us. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus is a reconciler. He mends things. And boy, do we need a reconciler today? Do you think we're past all that, or do you think we still need a reconciler? I mean, we live in cancel culture. If you disagree with me, if you have a different philosophy than I do, if you're from a different political party than I am, if you say something I don't like, I'll cancel you. And we need a reconciler. We're, we're not doing well. I don't know if you noticed. We're not doing well at all. People hate each other because of their political party, because of their race, because of their sports team, because their alma mater, because their comment on social media, because their philosophy of life, and sometimes just because they cut them off in traffic. I mean, we hate, we hate, we hate, and we divide, and we separate, and we, and we, and we uh, write people off. But every person is a person that Christ died for. And Jesus came and the joy of his coming was that he was a reconciler. Colossians 1.20 says this, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness. Of whose? Of the Father's fullness to dwell in him. Who's him? In Jesus. God put all of the fullness of himself into the physical Jesus. Into the human Jesus, all the fullness of heaven dwelt in him, watch this, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Now you might wonder, that's kind of confusing. What do you mean all things? You know what it means? Everything. It's real simple. All things, to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You know, I grew up in a, um, a racially divided community. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, in kind of a lower middle-income part of town. And in our community, there was a white neighborhood and there was a black neighborhood. And, and I, didn't know any, I didn't know any black people. I didn't have any black friends. The white, the white people that I grew up with didn't trust black people. And that's just the community I grew up in. And people, people only mixed out of work or some other necessity, but there was, a, there was a bold line there. And as I became a Christian, and I began to grow in my faith, and I began to see the, the lie and the brokenness and the weakness of that life I begin to embrace a new life and let me, let me tell you something that was cool one Sunday about I don't know seven years ago I was standing right here and a couple of friends from our church just came to say hi to me for a minute and they realized that I was going through a hard time a lot of turmoil in our, in our family and a lot of sickness and things we were going through and they said, Pastor, do you mind if we pray for you? 
I said, man, I, I'd, I'd love that. I'd really appreciate that. And I just opened my hands and I closed my eyes. And that little circle of people, of seven or eight people, started to pray for me. And their prayer was so good. And it was so powerful. And, and we said amen. And I looked up. And remember when we could hug? Wasn't that good? I can't wait till we can hug again. I'm just telling you, we're going to have to divide the church in huggers and non-huggers. Because you don't like hugging, I'm coming for you. When this is over, I'm telling you, I'm coming for you. We're going to hug. We're going to hug this out. But they hugged me. And as I walked away, I noticed something that didn't even occur to me until I went to leave that circle. I was the only white person in that circle. There were seven or eight black people that had gathered around, brothers and sisters that had gathered around, and they were concerned about how I was doing and if they could pray for me and if they could hug me. There's a way they could raise my arms up in victory. And it was so different. It was so different than how I was in the community I grew up in. And when I left that circle, I cried and I said, God, you're a reconciler. And we need you. God, I need you. And we need you. And we need you to reconcile this divided and broken world. Because this is not the world the way you wanted it. This is not what you wanted. And it overwhelmed me and blessed me. And I thought, God, this is where I want to be. I want to be right in the middle of your people. I don't care what color they are. I want to be in your people because God filled Christ with all the fullness of the Father that he might reconcile all things unto himself. Do you see the wisdom? Do you see the beauty in that? You know what I believe? I believe the Christmas announcement is an announcement of joy even in 2020. 2020 doesn't scare God. It hadn't thrown him off his game. Man, he's good and he's just as powerful and he's ready. He's ready to work. He is working. And he's coming to bring joy. And his coming is a coming of joy. His announcement is an announcement of joy. And I wonder, I thought about those pieces in uh, in, in Luke chapter 1 when the Bible says that John was coming to reconcile uh, parents and children. And I thought about you and I wondered, have, do you have any relationships in 2020 that need reconciling? Man, this has been hard on marriages. It's been hard on families. It's been hard on kids and parents and parents and kids and grandparents and sometimes when you live through pressure tension builds and, and when you can't see each other the way you used to it causes distance and people drift and wedges get driven between people that maybe in another time they wouldn't have come but now they're here and I got good news Jesus isn't scared of them he can deal with them you have any relationships that need to be reconciled what about this idea of the wisdom? Uh, John's going to turn people back to the wisdom of Christ. Have you, have you, um, have you drifted? Are, are there areas of your life that you've adopted the world's way? You know what I mean? You know the Bible says that Jesus is the truth and the life but it says he's one other thing that we don't oftentimes recognize and it says that he's the way he's truth, he is the truth 
He is the life. He's the source of life. But he's also the way to live. He's the way to live. Have you, have you adopted some ways of living this year that aren't Christian? They're not spiritual. They're not holy. They're not wholesome. They're not healthy. They're not good. They're not, they don't reflect the glory of God. Maybe you've reflected some way. Maybe you need some reconciling in your ways. What about this other one to prepare people, you know, for the Lord? That has to do with the future. John was saying, Jesus is coming. I'm trying to get you all ready for his arrival. How about the direction you're going in life? Does your direction need to be reconciled? Are, are you walking, is the direction you're going taking you closer to God or is it bringing you further from God? A lot of times we don't do U-turns, you know. We just drift a little bit. We just drift. We just let up, let go, get distracted, go another way. We just drift. Have you drifted? Does your direction need some reconciling? Stirred back up, brought back to Christ? And, and then this um, statement that I shared with you earlier. God doesn't need good circumstances to do his best work. Man, maybe, maybe you're just like a lot of people. The circumstances have beat up on you. And maybe you just need God to do some reconciling in your circumstances because you say, God, I'm glad today that I don't have to wait for things to get better or my life to change for you to work. God does his best work in all times. Would you stand with me this morning and let's just close our eyes for a minute. Let's go to prayer. Every, every eye closed and we just open your heart for a minute. If you, need, if you need Jesus to do some reconciling work in your life, whether it be in a relationship or in the direction of your life, in your circumstances, you need God to reconcile your circumstances to His will for you. Maybe you've adopted some of the ways of the world and you need God to reconcile your ways, to bring them back to His ways. And if you need reconciling, I got good news, the reconciler is in the house. Would you just lift your hand and say, hey, I want to pray today that God's going to work a work of reconciliation in my life. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. Man, I want God to reconcile. Just lift it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're online, just jump in the comment section and say, I need God's work of reconciliation. I need God to reconcile. Our prayer team is live. They're going to meet you there in the room. Just lift your hand. Just, just lift it and leave it up for a minute. Just as a sign to God, God, I'm open. I'm inviting the reconciler into my life today. Would you just pray with me? Oh, if you're online, would you just pray with us now? Holy Spirit, we invite you today to reconcile. <laughs> There's no other answer. There's no other way. There's no other solution. So, Lord, all the fullness of the Father dwells in you, Jesus. And we ask you today to do, for those with lifted hands, those who are commenting online right now, God, we ask you to reach through the camera. We ask you to reach into the pew, into the aisle, into every heart. And Lord, we ask you to reconcile relationships. Let forgiveness flow. 
God, reconcile circumstances, Lord. We pray that you would do miracles and open doors and provide jobs and, Lord, heal sick bodies and do what you do. It's the, you said later as you started your ministry, this is the year of the Lord's favor. So, God, let this announcement of joy penetrate into circumstances. And, Lord, help us to reconcile. God, give us the power of God, the grace of Jesus. Lord, show us, illuminate now where we might reconcile our ways. And God, I pray in this very moment, as, as people have experienced this service, together we've heard your voice, Lord, and we say, God, reconcile my direction. There are some, you're saying, I'm coming back to God. I'm changing my direction. I'm changing my direction. Would you just lift your hand if that's you and say, I'm changing my direction today. I'm taking a different direction. I've drifted. I've moved. I've faded. If you're online, just type it in there. I'm changing my direction. Thank you for your hand. Just lift it up. I'm changing my direction. Yes, I see your hand. I'm changing my direction. By, by Christ's power, by His grace, through faith, I'm changing directions today. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's working right now. Lord, I thank you for every hand that's up now. Lord, we're seeing a change of direction in lives. God, by your power and grace, do what only you can do now. Lord, we thank you for the work of Jesus. Lord, all, all over the world, all over this room, we thank you for this pronouncement of joy that directions can change. God, I thank you for that. Man, would you, just, would you just thank God for a minute for the people who lifted their hand and say, I'm changing directions. I'm not going the way that I was going when this service started. Come on, and let's just thank God this morning. Lord, I thank you today. Direction is changing. Life is changing. Lord, we thank you for that today. And our worship team's going to sing this song about the name of Jesus and how there's no other name that's been given. And so as we sing this song, man, I want you just to lift up the name of Jesus and celebrate with joy what he's come to do in our lives. God bless you as we worship.